Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we are rewinding back to episode 165, Threat Probability and Threat Impacts, originally published March 25th, 2009. I wanted to give you some fresh material to go with this and some some uh, perspective on where the show is today based on where we started out. So I thought one of the cool things for the Rewind shows would be to start actually giving you the exact length of time it's been since the show originally aired. So I have a little uh, calculate date duration uh, script that I can run. And uh, it was 3,149 days ago, 3,149 days ago that I originally did the show, uh, which is eight years, seven months, and 13 days uh, ago that this show was originally done. And uh, threat probability is what this show has been based on since day one, but I, I believe, looking through the past episodes, this was the first time, episode 165, uh, that I really laid it out as such and explained the thinking that was going into developing this. And since I first put this type of material out, I have definitely polished the formula behind threat probability, threat impact, disaster probability, etc. But it really hasn't changed. It's just become a little bit more refined. It's, it's the driving core of preparedness at the Survival Podcast. And I think that's really a great thing. And here's why I think that. Imagine if I played this thing from 3,000 days ago and I said, you know what, guys, I'm playing this rewind to show you how stupid I was and how everything I was teaching you back then was completely back-assorted and wrong. And we do things completely different today than we did then. I think the mark of a good philosophy is it's never complete, it's never finished, but if it's a solid core fundamental philosophy that you can bet your ass on, it will get better over time if you're open to improving it. And I think that's an important thing that we've tried to do here at the TSP uh, community as a whole. Uh, I should say communities as a whole, as there are multiple communities here. We, we try to be true to the fundamentals that are just logical and, and obvious and the things that you know our great-grandparents would have told us to do. But we also try not to get stuck on those things with some sort of religious dogma-like attachment to them. Like, well, Jack said the commandment of the this was in, you know, in, in 2009, thou shalt not. We don't do that because that's just stupid. That, that prevents growth. And we all need to be growing in our walks as preppers and people on a daily basis. I also think it is kind of cool when we go back this far into the show. Uh, you can really tell that the show has become far more professional in its its delivery and its its packaging and things like that. But yet I still, again, think this is the core. Now, here's a little cool thing in this one. I took out all of the beginning stuff that really didn't matter, that would be like boring, because it doesn't pertain to now. It was kind of temporal. Uh, and I kind of go right into the point where I'm starting the main topic, but I left a little piece on. A little piece for you guys to miss the road rage. It's not really a road rage thing, uh, but it is some commentary on uh, road piracy uh, and uh, some thoughts on that. 
You know, there's another interesting thing about this philosophy. I had really begun to start the refining process of it about this time. And about this time, so this is 2009, this is about six, eight months into the production of the show. It was 2009 in the spring and going into the summer that I first started to get contacted um, by media. Uh, radio stations for interviews, uh, things like that. And... I remember getting on several of these radio talk shows and having guys kind of just wanted to bust on me or whatever because they wanted to uh, to accentuate the whole survivalist craziness, tinfoil hat stuff, and, and I, I would have no part of it. And sometimes they would actually be put off, but I would force this type of thinking. And when I would start off like, well, listen, let's pull back on all pandemics and meteor strikes and everything like that, because those are possible but not highly probable. Let's talk about things like losing your job, because guys, imagine if the station manager called you tomorrow and told you you were losing your job. And we talk about basic financial management and stuff like that, and they get disappointed because they're like, well, it's almost like having uh, Susie Orman on. I'm like, okay, now you've insulted me, because that mouse-brained idiot that talks like a freaking mouse doesn't know her ass from a hole in the ground, but it wasn't what they were expecting. But this is why it's effective. The, the, the most important thing that I've tried to teach when it comes to preparedness here is there is a flat-out order of probability that you are likely to experience in your lifetime as far as disasters and emergencies. Almost every person and almost every family at some point deals with a job loss. I mean, it's it's almost a constant. No matter how good your work ethic is, no matter how great the company you work for is, especially with two-income households where mom and dad both have a job, it's almost inevitable sooner or later someone loses a job. And it always seems to happen at a very inconvenient time. So that's inevitable. It is inevitable that you will experience multiple blackouts in your life. You know, you're going to. It happens. We know that it happens. It's inevitable that you'll sooner or later you'll have something uh, pop up in your life that will create a, a medical emergency, whether it's you personally or whether it's a close family member. And all of these things are inevitable. All right? So let's, let's square that away first. And then let's take the things that are maybe not inevitable but highly likely. Like you'll know someone that this happens to. And then let's take the things like you'll know someone that knows someone that this happens to. Let's get to all that. And then we'll worry about the big stuff. Then we'll worry about statewide, regional, global pandemics and things like that. And this is the most common sense approach to disaster preparedness I could come up with. If there is a more common sense approach to disaster preparedness out there, I'm not aware of it. Or I would be very interested in learning more about it. So kick back and enjoy an episode from over 3,000 days ago. And in many ways, it is the core that we still teach and follow today. With that, hope you enjoy this episode. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow uh, with another uh, uh, Rewind episode from a few years closer to where we are today. And real quick, I want to remind you guys about T-SPAS. You guys know you can help support the show by shopping online at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. I probably won't have products of the day out for you anymore, but I put this one out yesterday. I uh, didn't get on yesterday's Rewind show, and I wanted to let you know about it because it's been so helpful to us. Uh, the item of the day that I did re uh, for, for yesterday on the 6th was Aromacare Ear Wipes. This is for your dogs, not for you. That probably would work for you. It's made with eucalyptus oil and aloe vera. 
Now, I have three dogs, Charlie, Lucy, and Max, and Lucy and Charlie get their ears cleaned once a month with this. I do it on the first of the month um, when they get their heartworm medicine. That makes it really easy to not forget and basic maintenance. And they might get a little bit out of there, but they both do really good. Max is the one that this has been a godsend for, man. He He's a giant German shepherd. I don't know if he just makes a lot of ear gunk because he's so big or what. But this dog would get, it'd be the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd hear jingle, 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 slap, flap, flap, flap. And he'd be walking around shaking his head, and I'd have to get up and clean his ears for him. Uh, and this was even doing it quite regularly. So when I first got these, I thought, well, you know, it'll be a good product for cleaning his ears. I did a lot of research on it. This had great reviews, uh, A, A plus on, uh, on, uh, fake spot, all the good stuff. And so I got this stuff and it really, really helped clean out his ears. So what I did is I did it every day for a week. And then I did it once a week for a month. And then I went to him. I do him now the first and the 15th of every month to clean his ears. I haven't had any problems with them since. It, it, it really seems to have done a good job for him, and it keeps him from having the evil, the awful stink ear, because you don't want a dog with stink ear, guys. Anyway, if your dogs uh, need their ears clean and you have issues with it, give this stuff a try again. It's by a company called Aromacare. Uh, Aromacare ear wipes with aloe and eucalyptus. Uh, keeps the stink ear away and keeps your pups happy. And remember, you can always support us by shopping on T-Spaz. And with that, let's go ahead and rewind back. To March the 25th, 2009. And, uh, folks, the cops are doing safety blitzes again. I'm going to have to talk to my brother-in-law. These are his boys out here just lying in the freaking highway again. I guess Grand Prairie needs money. Anyway, um, let's get into uh, what today's show topic is going to be about. I am going to talk today about something we've talked about a little bit before, but I'm explaining its genesis, where it came from, and I'm going to add another component to it. And this is what I call the threat probability matrix. In other words, what threats out there are most likely to impact you, and what threats out there are least likely to impact you and or everybody else. And you might think that the way this show started, if you've been listening since the beginning, or if you downloaded all the shows and you dealt with the crappy audio in the beginning, that I just kind of you know winged it right from the beginning. Well, there's some truth to that, but there's also a lot of thought and uh, planning and documentation that went into the initial launch of this show. And it w- it's always been how I think and how I prepare and, and why I think you should think that way too. But before I started the show, what I did is I sat down and said, well, Jack, why do you think this way? Why, why do you make the decisions you make? And I reverse engineered my own just natural thought process. And I realized that what was driving it was a simple, fundamental, logical understanding that, yeah, I think that one day we could have a giant solar storm that would shut down the electrical grid. That could happen. It's just not the thing that I'm most concerned about occurring. I'm more concerned about, let's say, uh, us having an individual household catastrophe, like one of us getting very, very sick, one of us dying, one of us having a severe accident, and being financially able to cope with that, or one of us losing their employment, uh, or having our investments knocked out, uh, or having, you know, something weird happened with a debt ratio. There's all these different things individually. And then I thought, well, you know, once that's out of the way, I'm really more concerned about things like, you know, where I live, a tornadic storm. 
which would affect my neighborhood. And beyond that, then I'm a little more concerned about rather than a meteor hitting the earth or a global uh, Nazi government, I, I, you know, marching on us and taking us all captive. I, I'm a little bit more concerned that maybe we could have some kind of civil unrest uh, that would start in Dallas and or Fort Worth or both that would spill over into my local community and we might need to get out of here. Or some kind of a localized terroristic threat using biological dirty bombs, something like that. That the, the things that could happen here. So that started this this, this threat matrix. And uh, that's what I'm going to go through today and explain to you not where I place my threats on the matrix, but how to use the matrix so that you can list all the threats you're concerned about and you can fill them in for yourself. And that'll help you prioritize the actions that you take to prepare for the winter, right? The worst days to come. Uh, because there will always be winters. No matter how much spring, no matter how much summer, no matter how beautiful they are, there's always a winter and a time where you have to pay the piper. Before I do that, though, today I have to answer something. Uh, I had several calls in on this. I've had several comments. I've had tons of emails. I did a show on H.R. 875, which, of course, is the uh, new agricultural bill. And what this bill would say is, uh, is a, you know, it consolidates power. This is a negative bill. Now, I've actually said more about killing this piece of legislation and given more action to kill this legislation than any other piece of legislation that we've ever discussed. All right, I'm not going to go through H.R. 75 in depth today because it's not today's main subject, but I've got to answer this because I've got to put a stop to the just this this hysteria that's out there. There's a belief that H.R. 875 would allow the government to control the home gardener's garden, force us not to use organic methods, make us use Monsanto's products, and have an inspector show up at your house to inspect your backyard garden. As bad as this bill is, and I posted a link to get the contact information for all the committees, this bill's in committee. Sometimes the kill it's when it's in committee. Never let it come out. For all the committee members, so you could call, email, or fax all the committee members and tell them you don't want this bill. But I also said it's not about shutting down your backyard tomato and pepper patch. So, of course, people have been sending me all kinds of proof, quote-unquote proof, hysterical proof, that, yes, it doesn't specifically say the home garden, but... It doesn't exempt the home garden, right? Well, it doesn't exempt your salad plate either once you put it on your table. Are they going to come in at the last minute and make sure that you put the right additives on it? Could our government go to that extreme nut job place someday? Sure. It's not what this bill's about. There's plenty of reasons to kill it. It looks like a hysterical. So the question was said, well, it's, you know, it says any farm. And then people look up the definition of farm in, like, Webster's Dictionary, and it says, you know, a plot of, small plot of land designed for food production. The problem with this, folks, is when you judge legislation, you have to use legal definitions. Now, if you look up the American Law Dictionary uh, definition or Standard Legal def, uh, Dictionary's definition or any of the legal definitions of what a farm is under U.S. law, you will find that a farm is a small plot of land designed for the production of food that that has produced at least $1,000 in commercial product or generally would produce at least 1000 
dollars of commercial product. You see, the thing about a farm is if you're a farm, you get to be zoned rurally, and you get tax breaks, and you get tax incentives. So if the government wanted to say that your backyard was a farm, and that you're producing at least $1,000 in produce, and this law would apply to you, then you'd be able to go to your city and county and school board and all the places you pay taxes to on your property and file rural exemption. You know, politics and legalities are a two-edged sword, and the government's more aware of this than most people realize. So when it says a farm in the bill, it's the legal definition of a farm, not the common people's definition of a farm. So if you're going to pick a bill apart, use the legal dictionary. Now, here's another note, and this will go right in today's uh, topic on threat probabilities and the government and malice and everything else. This is proof that our government, when they vote on things, vote through ignorance and incompetence. Because just like you, we have members of our Congress that may read that bill and say a farm could be anything. Whether they're, and they don't know what the legal definition of a freaking farm is. And they won't have the bill long enough to have looked up all the terms that they don't understand in a legal dictionary or have a page do it and explain it to them. Just like our giant stimulus bill, which couldn't have been read straight through in the time that they had to vote on it, let alone actually understood. Right? So what I'm trying to get at here is when we have the government doing something stupid, folks, and we want to shut it down, let's shut it down based on facts. Not the freaking hysteria off. All you bloggers that are out there, they're going to take away my tomatoes. Stop it. Okay? Freaking stop it. And I mean it. And if I'm offending you because you're one of those people, I'm sorry. Because when you do this, you make us look stupid. Because all these people are going to come out and point to you, and they're going to use you, and your hysteria is a distraction. They're going to show the general public that would be opposed to this thing that you're nuts, that that's not what this does. They're going to show that most of this power already exists in its independent agencies. And one of the things we should be telling people is we don't want this power consolidated. We don't want people to have the authority to come out and require people like the Dervais family to go through a federal inspection by a federal auditor. You have to think about the federal inspection as part of this bill. All these places will be inspected once by a federal inspector. That's too much authority for the federal government. Stand up to it on what it is. Don't stand up to it on what it is not because you will build a house of cards and some clever person will come in when they want to get this thing actually done and get it rolling. They'll point to all the hysteria. They'll prove it's wrong just like I just did. And then they'll use that momentum to get it done. They'll use a crisis, and they won't let it go to waste. Think about that. And think about what you're doing when you start freaking out about something before you fully comprehend it, especially when you're doing it in the public domain for other people to see. Now, why does that tie into the threat probability matrix? Because part of the threat probability matrix is I think that a lot of people hand too much credit to our government and the world's governments. And they look at all these things that they're doing, and they think that our government is acting in malice. There's a saying that I heard on the forum, our forum one time, I don't remember who said it, but I loved it. It was in their sig line, and it said something to the point of never attribute to malice that which can be explained through incompetence. And I think that our government does a lot more because of incompetence than malice. I don't think that most of our senators and most of our congressmen actually hate you. 
They hate you and they want to punish you and they want to be mean to you and they want to kick you when you're down. I don't believe that. I think their problem is incompetence, arrogance, and a quest for control. At least you think that lets them off the hook. At least you think that makes this any more benevolent. Would you rather be a police officer dealing with a hostage situation in a bank where the guy inside there holding those hostages, a group of people, were professional bank robbers with a clear intent plan based on malice that have a goal and an agenda that's specific that you can negotiate based on and because they're professionals they're going to follow their own rules and you can use that in your negotiations or a bubbling bunch of incompetent arrogant fools that thought it was going to be easy to rob a bank had never done it before and now are scared and stuck and really don't know what to do which one is more dangerous to the people stuck in the bank with them which one is more dangerous to your fellow law enforcement officers well, folks, that's what we're dealing with. We have our government holding our people hostage in the bank. And there couldn't be a better explanation for that right now with what's going on with money. Now, if they were clean-thinking professionals that had specific agendas, then we as voters could say, you want something? We want something. That's the way politics works. Let's get this right. Let's get this straight. Or we're going to throw you the hell out. But if we have incompetent, bumbling, arrogant, ignorant fools, rather than professionals with malice, we have a bigger problem, and I think we do. So let's let's take a look at that. Let's just think about that as we go through the threat probability matrix. So as I was saying, when I was starting to look at, well, how do I tell people what to prepare for? How do I suggest basic things that everybody should do? Where do I define where next levels are? You know, you start here and then you go to here. And how do I come up with day, how many days worth of food should you store? You know, where can you get to before you start doing other things? Because food storage is fundamentally one of the most important things that you can do. And as I sat down and started to evaluate the threats, I realized I'd been doing this my entire life or at least my entire prepping life, and I hadn't really ever formalized it. So I came up with what I believe, and I'm the only person that's ever actually formalized this, which is a threat probability matrix, which starts out with you, the individual. You and your family. Anything that would affect you and your family without affecting you, the neighbors that live around you, the people in the house next door, is probably, and in most instances will be, the highest probability to occur. Because it's things like somebody getting in an accident and dying. It's things like you losing your job. It's things like having debt that gets called in by your creditor under a contract that you didn't understand. It's having your uh, total portfolio value cut in half. Now, how probable are those things? How many of you listening to me have had one of them occur in the last two years? Some of you haven't, but many of you have. How many of you carry life insurance? If there's not a higher probability that one of your family members would die in some sort of accident or due to disease or something else, some malicious act, then, oh, I don't know, a meteor striking the earth why didn't you take the money that you pay for life insurance with and use it to pay for a hole in the ground that you can hide in? And some people do, and that's a huge mistake. But I think most people are rational and they don't. And if you take that logic and apply it the rest of the way through, this will make perfect sense to you. The next most likely event to occur will affect you 
regionally. And that region could vary in size, so the bigger it gets. Hold on, folks. I got... Now I got more cops. What is going on today? Anyway, um, there, it's more probable than, you know, it's more, the smaller the region, the more probable the event. In other words, it's a lot more likely that a hurricane, uh, or not a hurricane, it's a thunderstorm is going to spawn a set of twisters that affect my local area than it is that a, uh, a giant hurricane is going to make its way up the coast and wipe out the entire state or half the state of Texas because hurricanes lose momentum as they come forward. And it's a lot more likely that we're going to have localized rioting in Dallas that will spill out to the suburbs than half the state of Texas uh, will go into riots. It's just more like when L.A. went into riots, San Francisco didn't go into riots. Okay, that's just the way you start to look at these things. And then the next thing you do is you look at, well, what about a statewide disaster? It's more probable than a national disaster. California sits on the precipice for this to occur at any time. If they go completely bankrupt as a state, which is possible, they got damn close this year, and if they were to happen to go into that financial crunch right about this time of the year, a little bit later in the year, and they have, you know, right when the fires kick up and the mudslides kick up, and on top of that, maybe they have a big earthquake, not the big one, but a big earthquake, and all these things you know, happen at the same time, it could put that state in disarray. There's 11 states that are on the verge of bankruptcy. There's 11 states the top brokerage houses have come out and said, if you're buying bonds in this state, you better buy insurance against the bond. You better short the state. I apologize again. We must have an injury accident. i got an ambulance moving through now. Um, so when we come off of that state level, then we go to nationwide. Now, nationwide, we start looking at things like, you know, total economic collapse of the United States. We look at something like the, a grid failure that affects, you know, mostly the United States. We look at some large-scale terrorist attack. Let's say the terrorists were able to pull off uh, a combined uh, attack in uh, 15 major United States cities at once. It would send the entire nation to panic. Uh, pandemic flu that, that begins to really rear its head in the United States. All of these things uh, are less probable than you losing your job. All right? Now, I'm going to get to the other side of this in a minute. So if you're thinking, it's worse, it's worse. You're right. You're absolutely right. We'll get to that in the next phase. Then you look at global disaster. Global disaster is the same thing happening all over the world. The total economic collapse of the globe. Okay, and it wouldn't really be that big a difference between, you know, the United, you know, you here, whether it was just us collapsing or the whole world collapsing, except there'd be nobody to help us. And believe it or not, there's, there are some people out there that actually might help us if it was just us. In fact, there's a lot of help right now that's keeping us out of that hole. So, then you could go to like the really extreme long shot giant meteor impact that impacts the entire globe. A, a Chalixu style event like was uh, theorized for years that may have uh, extincted the di- dinosaurs. Types of things like that. Major volcanic eruption. Yellowstone blows its top. Right. These things are all things that could happen, but you know, don't live your life based on being concerned with them because again, 
local, you know, individual, local, regional, statewide, national, global, in that order. Put your planning around the individual needs, and you'll naturally over time begin to progress and take care and do the best job that you possibly can for everything, from losing your job to global thermal nuclear war. You'll cover it all if you start at the individual level. If you start at the bombs could drop tomorrow, the asteroid could hit tomorrow, the giant solar storm could hit us tomorrow and shut down the grid, the terrorists, it's all coming tomorrow. You get overwhelmed, you get off track, you'll make poor decisions, you'll put your family and yourself in a position that you don't want to be in, and that will be a big problem for you. The other side of this, the other side of this is the impact scale. What is the impact of the event? You lose your job. Okay? High probability. Impact, if you're smart, you have reduced your debt, you have some money saved up, you're confident and you're prepared to go out and do whatever it takes to find another job, including taking two crappy jobs until you can find one good job. The impact scale is relatively low. Losing a family member. Huge initial impact scale, but from a survivor, survivability standpoint, the ability to actually uh, to, to, to make do, to get by, to live another day, it's a relatively low one. As awful as it would be, people lose family members and put their lives back together and go on every single time. You're going to notice something here. As I move up the probability matrix, and the lower the probability of the event, the higher the impact scale will get. Let's move on to, you know, a neighborhood uh, impacting event. Uh, that would be something like a house fire that spreads through several houses, a tornadic storm. Uh, just a big, heavy storm, high winds, dropping trees, knocking down houses. Well, losing your whole house is a much larger impact event than losing your job. But, again, happens to people all the time. They put their lives back together, and there's people out there that can help you, and hopefully you've insured your home. So it's something that insurance can cover. So less probability, higher impact. And as you move forward and you say, okay, well, what about a regional event? And we have rioting in a nearby city that begins to spread out into the suburbs and into my neighborhood. And we have people out setting things on fire, stealing things, looting, robbing, shooting, raping, pillaging, the whole nine yards. L.A. riots, but in your backyard. Again, the probability of that occurring, at least right now, lower then something that just affects your neighborhood. Because it could be anything that just affects your neighborhood, not just the things that I said. The impact scale increases. There's more danger. There's more to lose. There's more risk because now it's not just you at risk. It's you and your family at risk at a higher degree. So, again, you move uh, down the probability, you move up the impact. When you look at something that would infect, affect an entire state or a large portion of a state or the regions of several states, something that I would call state-level disaster, now you're looking at a massive tornadic storm like happened in Greensburg, Kansas. And there was uh, during that storm over 100 tornado touchdowns throughout Kansas. It wasn't just Greensburg. It was all these little towns around there. And the governor has to call a national emergency. It's a Hurricane Katrina event. It's a Hurricane Andrew event. Probability, 
unless you live in a highly probable area for that to occur, is probably lower for you than other storms, even if you live in New Orleans. How many times has New Orleans been completely destroyed by hurricanes in the last 120 years? I think it's twice. Really decimated twice in 120 years. How many times have people lost jobs in the last 120 years? Again, lower probability, even if you live in Houston, even if you live in Galveston, just got ravaged by Ike. When was the last time Galveston was hit like that? It was 80 years ago, I think. So, again, the statewide disaster, lower, lower probability. But the impacts, y'all think of the impact scale of Katrina. Think of how long some people were stuck on their own and had to make do with what they had. But there were still people on the outside that could come in and help you. Now let's move up to a national level disaster. A Yellowstone volcanic event. All right, natural. Terrorist attack that impacts major cities throughout the United States, creates widespread panic, and leads to rioting throughout the nation. Bugging out isn't even as easy anymore. If you live in Dallas and Dallas goes into riots, and you have an aunt Sue down in Austin, you know, odds are you can just cruise on down to Austin, wait till it's over, unless you want to stand your ground. It's up to you, but you have the option. Now, if you have a national disaster where people are doing this all over the place, it may be difficult for you to even get to a good bug out location just because your you know, avenues of transportation may be uh, impaired and cut off. Let me pause again, folks. I'm getting past the wreck now. There's probably two cars and a fender bender, and they got two lanes blocked off. Let's see. Not that you really care. This is about survival. Let's see. Is it incompetence? Yep. Little fender bender could be pushed right off the road. Three-lane highway, two lanes blocked. Four fire trucks, three cop cars, and a motorcycle cop car. Beautiful. Just freaking beautiful. Anyway, so we can, you, you, that's, again, national-level disaster. Um, let's say uh, solar storm shutting down the electrical grid. Yellowstone blows. All right. Total economic collapse in the United States. All of them less likely, again, starting with the individual, you losing your job. Impact scale huge. Low probability, high impact. It's exactly how the government classifies a, a large body impact of an asteroid. Low probability, but a high, high devastating impact. So... I'm not saying when I say put these things in an order of priority and in order of probability, don't worry about the big disaster. Don't worry about a complete global economic meltdown because, guys, we got closer than I want to admit. This summer, as we went through this financial crisis, what I don't think people realize is back in the 60s we had something called the Cuban Missile Crisis where the Russians and the Americans both had their fingers inches away from the button and we had a big showdown and everybody realized that the Earth was spared a massive nuclear exchange. Well, with this derivatives nightmare, this derivatives bubble, this credit swap nonsense that was allowed to perpetrate and go on throughout the world, if all the world's governments didn't get involved, it almost went off, and it would have been a financial global thermonuclear war. It would have caused a global economic destruction like you've never seen before. We had a Cuban Missile Crisis in the financial world this summer, and nobody noticed. 
And I remember my grandmother telling me when the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, was going on that my grandfather was a military intelligence officer, and he actually knew quite a bit more about it uh, than, than the average person did, and he thought it was a lot more probable than even the people were being told in the hysteria. was. He thought that these people that are worried have a lot of reason to worry, and they realized there wasn't much they could do where they lived, and that uh, what they did is they uh, listened to the radio and sat on the roof and hung out together and decided if it was going to happen, they would watch it happen, and they'd be gone in a couple of milliseconds anyway, so why worry about it? And, and nobody had that kind of a you know fatalistic viewpoint when we went through this uh, this derivatives breakdown, credit breakdown, uh, mortgage breakdown, but that's where we went in an analogy. So these things can happen. It's just you can't be completely prepared for a global disaster. Because you don't know what it's going to mean. And if we have a global disaster, it probably means that some portion of the globe is immediately wiped out no matter what they do. But you can prepare for your individual disasters. You can make sure that you can store and produce food. Now, this is the magic of this system. If you do it, if you work it diligently, if you get to a point where you feel like, damn, we can handle just about anything that would happen to us as a family. We have low debt ratios or no debt. We have life insurance. We have either paid for our property or we have enough cash reserves to continue making our house payments for, say, a year, even if we all lost our jobs. We have food and we have the ability to produce food. We have water stored up and we have reserves and we have ways to do things like catch rain. We have some level of energy independence. We can at least cook our food. We have a clothesline. We can freaking dry our clothes. We can store food. We maybe have some solar backup for at least for some lighting. So even if the grid still works, you don't have to use it as much and you can cut down on your power consumption so in a financially lean time you can deal with it. You do all that. And you say, well, a neighborhood disaster, unless our house is leveled, pretty good shape. We better prepare for a neighborhood disaster next. Okay, next step. Can we create a bug out location for ourselves? And can we do the same kind of prepping at our bug out location that we've done here? At least get it ready to produce food. Put some food there. Put some water there. Make it as cheap and effective and as affordable as we can. Can we pay cash for it? If we have to start out with a travel trailer, do we start out with a travel trailer and four or five acres of rough land? At least so we have a place to go and at least so we have a place to sleep and we have a bed to crawl into we can put some backup solar there because now we've learned how to do it and maybe eventually you build that out by the time you get those two prepared for you start looking out well what if the bigger disaster occurs you're better prepared than 95 percent of the people that are out there. And you're probably better prepared than 90% or better of the people that call themselves preppers that are prepping for those events exclusively, that are worried about how much ammo they have. And I'm not saying not to have ammo. You start preparing for a neighborhood disaster, well, that could be a riot spilling into your neighborhood. You better have a way to defend your house. But you better have something to defend before you worry about spending $1,800 on a gun. And, I, and I, I know when I say that, I wrinkle some noses out there. But I'm sorry. You spend $1,800 a gun and you have one week's worth of food in your home. You are a fool. You're an absolute fool. You'd be better off going out. If you, you, know, you don't have any guns, you need a gun, go buy an 870. Go buy some buckshot. 
You know, spend 250 bucks on a used 870 or even a new one, the, the Express models, the, uh, the, you know, the kind of plain Jane ones. Go out and spend 100 bucks on ammo. 300, 400 bucks, and take the other $1,400 and invest it in providing something that will actually provide for you because while bullets and guns have value, you can't eat them. And if you live in a lot of places, there's not a lot of stuff to shoot with them to eat either, especially when people start panicking and everybody starts doing the same thing. So if you're going to defend something, have something to defend. If you take these two things together, the threat probability combined with the impact scale, you'll find that you'll be able to very easily prioritize your planning and your preparations. And then a lot of the shows that I do that talk about the simplistic things like the elimination of debt, the preservation of your investments, not putting all your savings into tax-deferred accounts like 401Ks or Roths, and I'm not talking about the money you already have, they're pulling it out. All I'm saying is if you can only save 8% of your income a month, put 4% into tax-deferred and put 4% into freaking cash. Put it in a shoebox. Put it in a short-term bond that you can get out with minimal to no penalty. Put it in a savings account. I don't care where you put it, but put it somewhere where it's liquid and you can get your freaking hands on it. There is a place for tax deferral. It is not 100% of your money because, again, what's most likely to happen? You have to leave your home for four days, not four years. One's more likely than the other. And a little pocket full of cash will get you a hotel room for four days without putting yourself into debt over a minor emergency. What's more likely to happen this month than a total national breakdown of our economic system? You need $800 worth of repairs done to your car so you can go to work and keep making money. Do you put $800 on Visa or MasterCard or do you pay for it? You see, if you start making these preparations based around your individual needs and your family's needs, and you start with that, and there's a place for guns. Again, folks, I do a lot of shows on guns. I'm going to do one next week completely dedicated to making certain selections with your firearms. I'm going to do a video, hopefully tonight, unless we have a tornadic storm here tonight, um, about becoming a better rifleman. It's for the, the, you know, so I'm not coming down on guns. I'm just saying, folks. I, I know it. I've seen it. I've talked to people. What did you just buy? I just bought, you know, this, you know, badass, you know, gun. How much is it? It was eighteen hundred dollars. Really? How much food do you have stored up? Well, well, yeah, okay. How much cash do you have in reserve? How do you pay for that gun? I charged it, folks. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Does this make sense? Now. There's people that are worried about the assault weapons ban. You know, you can justify things a million ways. All I'm saying is keep your head down and keep focused on the real things that matter. Can you as an individual survive individual catastrophe? And can your family survive individual or family level catastrophe? You know the two things that destroy more families? and more marriages than anything else in America, and I bet you it's the world. I know it's America. I've read the statistics. Debt and the loss of a child. Those are the two things that destroy more marriages than anything else. And fortunately, and I do say fortunately, debt does a lot more damage than the loss of a child because there's a lot less losses of children. But when a family loses a child, there's an immense probability of divorce in the future. 
That's why you need to get counseling. That's why both of you need to take time from work. That's why you need to to put your family back together after a tragic event like that. I I can't even imagine the hole that must be in the heart of a mother and father that lose a child. Thankfully, I've never had to experience it. I hope I never do. I do not want to outlive my son. But... If you're not financially stable, that's going to be a much harder thing to deal with. And you're not going to be able to take the time that you need in many instances to deal with a situation and to heal your heart and to heal your partner's heart so you can hold your family together. If we're going to survive, then we need to make sure the American family survives too. And I don't even want to limit that to America. We need to make sure that the family unit survives in the world. We don't do that. Does it really matter? How much do you do every day for someone that you care about that you wouldn't do if it was just you? You dedicate a lot of your life to that, so make that a priority as well. The other thing is debt. Well, if you're preparing for an individual disaster, you have cash reserves, you have a low debt to no debt ratio whatsoever, you try to pay cash for as much as you can, you don't put 100% of your money into retirement accounts as far as your savings go, so you have cash reserves so you can deal with emergency situations. It's not part of your marriage. It doesn't interfere with your marriage. It doesn't affect the way you treat your children. It doesn't preoccupy you to a point where you don't pay attention to each other. And when a disaster comes, you're more able to stand it together. And you're more able to deal with it together. And the leadership positions within the family unit are more respected and more followed. And all of a sudden, this little tiny bit of preparation, this common sense preparation, you realize that you've prepared for half of the matrix. You're prepared for everything up. You know, to a regional disaster. The only thing you have to do out next is figure out national. Which the only thing you really do with that is have a place to go. Have a place to go that's less likely to be interfered with. But if you don't start with that, because then you have an empty place with debt on it, you have a home with no, uh, you know, reserves with debt on it, and no real plan of how to get to the other side if you have to go there. Take that order and everything will start to piece itself together. Let me do a little bit of house cleaning at the end of the show today. Um, Number one, I'm going to be at Wilderness Way's big event in August in San Bernardino, California. Information will be in today's show notes. Region 5, bug out, camp out, get together. Bunch of good old boys having some fun down in Texas over Memorial Day weekend. Details in the show notes. Audio version of Lights Out, dictated by me, authored by David Crawford. One of the best pieces of fan fiction written about total collapse in the United States ever available Partial download preview at the site in today's show notes. And uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the house cleaning. So after being hacked, the last thing I want to point out is that yesterday's feed burner stats, which are based on the previous day's listening, we had over 4,000 people listening to the show, even though we lost that capability at about 6 o'clock in the evening. So the people that listened after 6 o'clock in the evening didn't even count. 
So we've broken 4,000 listeners together on this show, and it's because of people like you that tell other people and are sharing with other people about the show. So I appreciate you, and I, I want to make sure that I try to say that as often as possible. When I say it, it's not like some guy on the radio that has no idea who he's talking to, doesn't interact with the people that listen to him, other than maybe a handful of call-ins a day. I know dozens and dozens, in fact, hundreds of people on a first-name basis that listen to this show. I know you from the forum. I know you from Facebook. I know you from commenting on the blog. I've met some of you face-to-face. I really, honestly, genuinely appreciate you, and I see all of you as a blessing. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Survival Podcast. This has been Jack Spierko with yet another edition of it. Hoping I've helped you figure out today how to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent.